Is it on? Am I on TV? <laughs> Good morning, church at home. I'm joking. I'm joking. Your screen is not buffering. I was just checking if your Wi-Fi connection is intact and if your data bundles do hold up. Uh, a great morning to you and welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Debza. I am one of the... Oh, no, I'm not. I'm just an ordinary member here at the church. Uh, here to welcome you this morning. I trust that you will enjoy our service, whether you are at home, in your lounge, or in the kitchen, in the bedroom, outside, whether you are dressed in your Sunday's best or in your pajamas, eating your jungle oats, remember only you and Jesus know and come as you are. I trust you will enjoy yourself with us this morning. I'm just here to welcome those who, are, those who are joining us for the very first time. Welcome home. It's great to have you. <laughs> I trust you will consider making Christchurch Midrand a home for you. But otherwise, just relax. Relax, open your heart and mind and take in what the Lord has to teach us. I'm here to welcome us to this morning's service. Just remember, at 10 a.m., the kids and teens program will be online on the website. So head over to the webpage, Church at Home, and you will see that program there. I'm going to pray for us, so pray with me as we dive into today's service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, that you are still a great God. Lord, you are a sovereign God. You are a good God. We thank you, Lord God, that we can turn to you and put our trust in you in these uncertain times. We do realize, Father God, with the pandemic that has been currently um, going on in our country as well as the world, Lord, we know that we can put our trust and hope in you. We know that you are still sovereign over all situations. We pray, Father God, for today's service that it may reach our hearts and that we may get to engage and encounter you a little bit more. Heavenly Father, introduce yourself to those who may not know you. Um, uh, engage and touch our hearts where it needs to be touched. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, what's up, church family? My name is Black Newborn, one of the youth pastors here at Christ Church Midrand. I'm delighted to be sharing another verse with you from one of my songs in light of Outreach Week. Like I said at the beginning, for those who are joining us for the first time, I work with teenagers here at church. And one of the biggest objections that most teenagers have to giving their lives to Jesus is that they still have more time. Most teenagers think that they'll wait till they're 40 or 50 or 60 before they start entertaining church things. Right now, they want the world and all that the world has to offer them. They want to enjoy all of that and postpone giving their lives to Jesus. You might be 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, whatever the case is, and you have that same kind of mentality as well. What I want to say to you this morning is what I normally say to my teenagers. You are gambling with what's not yours. Time belongs to God the breath that you have in your lungs belongs to God. And God can take it at any time. God can call you at any time. The Bible doesn't say that when God calls you, there'll be a, a sign on the door that says God is here to claim you. You don't know when he's going to call you. You don't know when your life will end. 
So I just want to say to you what I say to my teenagers, that the time is now. If you have breath in your lungs, the time is now for you to make the biggest decision of your life, to give yourself over to Jesus, to surrender all that you've been holding on to, your life, your identity, your sexuality, your money, your dreams, your aspirations, your ambitions. Give all of that to Jesus now. Tomorrow is not yours. Tomorrow belongs to God and he can do with it with whatever he pleases. So give your life to him today. And I want to share a verse from a song I wrote just to encourage you to make the right decision to give your life to Jesus. Christ is alive, they're not hearing me. You want to see the proof in the physical modern Pharisees. Scripture was the truth and authority, the light exposing all the sin that's embedded inside of me. But now I got him, my faith is legit. I'm being sanctified at every turn, I never want to quit. So we read more of the word, rely less on what we heard. Because that kind of attitude leaves you acting like a bird. So you'll fly anywhere that's blind faith, thinking God knows. Like stupid rappers lacking in the word, trusting dumb flows. But now we're coming back with a vengeance, contending for the faith that's given through the dead sentence. Christ is alive, homie. We say it much louder. His death is significant, but his life is like thunder. Because he reigns as a king from the heavenly who came down, became flesh and died while saving me. I represent a king who's supreme. All my brothers dying for the faith. That's my only team. We servants of the word, son. Rap is just an avenue. Christ died to save me. Through me, I pray he saves you. For the gospel is God's power to save. I was once indebted to sin, but now I'm God's slave. Thanks to the most high for the way he paved to the kingdom of the living God, the home of the brave. Yeah. Let's take a minute, think about the price that Christ paid. Open up the pages of your Bible, check what God said. The justice and the wrath of God was coming straight away. The Father took the Son and crushed him on the cross, the Lamb was laid. But then you get a lot of people acting dumb today, behaving like the cross was never taught to them in any way. And if your soul could talk, imagine what your heart would say. Evil intentions like bullets coming out of gun spray and ah. Yeah, total depravity, we've fallen into sin, we're in a corrupted reality. The wisdom of this age cannot save you, but Christ alone. The one who bled for you on the cross with no broken bones. Oh, yeah, proclaim him crucified, he rose from the grave. It's blasphemy to say it's suicide. Now we glorify his name because he said it higher. His name is Elohim, Jehovah, God, the true Messiah. Oh, yeah. And I would say to you, in light of what Romans 10, 13 tells us, call on the name of Jesus and be saved now, because the time is indeed now.
Hello everybody, my name is Gareth Manx and I am part of the youth ministry team here at Christchurch Midrand. And this morning I have the wonderful privilege of interviewing Ellen Pongo, who's one of the teenagers in our youth group. Now for various reasons, I could not show you the footage of the interview that I had with Ella, but I have the audio and it's too good an interview to miss. So why don't you join us now as I interview Ella Mbongo. Let me introduce you to the awesome Ella. So Ella, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi everyone. Um, so my name is Ella and I'm 15 years old. I attend Christchurch College. I'm originally from Angola, but was like raised in Cape Town. And um, yeah, my parents are Yaquan Philistines, peace. Ella, you look a lot older than 15. No, 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 that's a compliment. Now, now for, for the people who are listening, they don't think that's a compliment to say somebody's older. But trust me, when you're a teenager and someone says you look older, it's a compliment. If they, if they tell a teenager though that you're older than 21, that's offensive. Um, because to teenagers, <laughs> to teenagers, I'm ancient. And, and to teenagers, <laughs> to teenagers, Martin is a fossil, okay? So <laughs> Uh, we shouldn't laugh, hey? We're going to get kicked out of church for that. Maybe we should edit that out later. <laughs> We're so glad you're one of the teenagers in our youth. So, Ella, can you tell us, um, what is it that attracted you to Christianity? I'm first going to tell you guys that my favorite verse, and then I'm going to answer your question, Gareth. Um, so, my favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 7, verse 12, which says, um, Do unto others what you'd like them to do unto you, uh, for this is the law and the prophets. And what what I find interesting is that although God tells us to do all these things, we tend to not do it. So like we tend to run away and we want to be in charge of our own lives. So then we just like, you know, God, although you've given me this rule, I'm just going to treat other people terribly because I don't care about you. What attracts me is that although we do all these things, God still loves us and he's still there. Although we smack him in the face about a hundred times, although we like, you know, I'm just going to sin, sin, sin. And if you forgive me, forgive me. If you don't want to forgive me, don't do it. Although we say all these things, um, God still is there and willing to forgive us and willing to call us home, which is something that I think is really powerful. Because I mean, it's your parents as well. You run away, they're going to wait, open arms for you to come back. They will shout at you, yes, but they will wait for you to come back. And I mean, Jesus is, it's not like, it's not like God's not going to be angry at you. He's definitely going to be mad at you, but he's always waiting open arms for you to come back to him, which is something that I think is really powerful because he could have, he can just leave you. I mean, he's the God of the universe, but he doesn't do that. He actually waits for you to come back and be like, um, daughter, son, I love you and I want you to come to me and I want you to be the great person that I intend you to be um, which is definitely something that draws me to Christianity the fact that God loves us even if we do all these terrible things he still forgives us anyway and yeah yeah, that incredible forgiveness from God and as you say like the fact that he wants you to be a better person um, uh, you, you answer that question so perfectly and what has what has helped you stay a Christian? Uh, one of the many things is teens, because it just has. The way that our church interacts with teens is amazing. Um, 
and it's been a great help during lockdown because i missed all my friends and then i can actually see them through a screen not the gareth is my friend um <laughs> but and then my parents yes they always talking about the bible with me and then it's it's really it's actually amazing knowing that the person who create or god created the world and he puts you in it and he actually loves mm. you and he wants you to turn back to him so like just knowing that makes me feel like you know god thank you for actually loving me knowing that you sent your son to die for me so that i can have time with you if i do believe in you so just those thoughts actually um sure. keep me going um they keep me sane that's an that's an awesome answer then the last thing i want to ask you is now a lot of people who are listening to this interview might not be christians um so what would you say to them uh, you know well let's just speak from experience i have a best like my best best friend is not christian at all um so like if i had to to tell her why i would want her to become christian would be because first of all i do not want to see her burning in hell i mean i love her very much and the same for everyone else out there i mean i might not know you but i mean god loves you and he wants you to be part of his kingdom so like take him into your heart and be like god you know i'm just going to give my life to you and um also just for us as well or for the people out there to just let let it go i mean frozen is a perfect example just let it go like she tells you just let it go give it all to god and be like i've tried i failed you in charge just take it all because i can't do this anymore i mean we all try and be like god but we're not god we are just people so like it doesn't matter what we try and do you are never going to meet the standards of god because we are all dirty sinners rotten and whatever and then lastly is just the fact that he actually sent someone to die for you so that you could be set free and have eternal life with him um yeah i mean that's just amazing like having someone actually dying in your place when you should have been the one hanging on that cross and just facing god's wrath god jesus actually took god's wrath and was just like i'm taking this for you just because i love you so much and i want to spend time with you in heaven and yeah that was extremely helpful um so uh and to end this interview off i think what would be a wise idea is if i pray for you Father God, we just thank you so much for Ella. We thank you that you've been working in her life. Thank you that you've grown her, that you've changed her. Thank you for her unique love um, that she has for you. And Lord, we know that there are many teenagers who don't know you, and there are many people who don't know you. And so, Father, I pray that you will use Ella's testimony now to work with them people. They will see you as a friendly, loving God who does care, as Ella has said, so much that you died for them. Uh, so I pray that your spirit will work in them. And I pray that you'll continue to grow Ella as a Christian. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks Ella. Thank you so much for helping us this morning and I do hope that your testimony really impacts a lot of people. 
So thanks a lot, Ella. Thanks a lot, everybody. That's cheers from us. Cheers, Ella. Bye, Gareth. Have you ever asked yourself hard questions about what the Bible says? Like, what did Jesus mean when he said that? And what was happening with this particular story? You know, is the, is the earth old or is it young? Have you ever asked yourself those hard questions and you find it awkward to ask anyone else because you feel like if you ask the church people, they come with deep answers like, you know, propitiation, Episcopalian. In the original Hebrew, it says, don't worry about it. Um, there is a course. There is a course called Christianity Explored that you can engage in. The details should be below the screen or you can head over to our website. And what Christianity Explored is, it seeks to answer those questions um, that you may have, but we also look at how Jesus engaged in difficult questions. Um, I've done it. It really helped me out a lot as a little bit of a skeptic. It was tough to engage those questions sometimes, but at least through the course, it's a space where you are allowed to ask those questions and engage in the Bible and see what does Jesus say about himself? What does Jesus say about the world we live in and the times that we do live in? And so I would encourage you to check that out uh, and engage with that. Um, it is really, really worthwhile. It helped me. Um, and even if you just want to do it to go over it with a friend or someone who is asking those questions, I think it's really worthwhile to check out.
Greetings, Christchurch Midrand. It's good to be with you, even in this way. Uh, some of you may know me very well, but let me just introduce myself for those of you who don't. My name is Glenn. I've been married to Sandra, my wife, for the last 27 years. We have two children, Jesse, who is 21, Joe, who is 19, and they're all with me uh, right now in this lockdown time. Uh, for those of you who don't know my background, I grew up in a nominally religious home, Jewish, Catholic mix. Uh, me, pretty much not interested in any of it, kind of drifting through uh, life the first 20 years of my life. In my early 20s, I met the girl I wanted to marry. We went to a church trying to find someone who would marry us. And in that church, for the very first time, I heard the gospel clearly proclaimed and clearly speaking to me. And for the first time, I realized uh, that I was a sinner under God's wrath and Jesus had come to earth to take my sin upon himself at the cross and by faith in him I could be rescued and 28 years ago that's uh, just what my wife and I did as we got on our knees and came to faith in Christ and we've been walking with Jesus ever since. Uh, the last 20 years in ministry serving at a church in Port Elizabeth, the last five years of that time uh, as bishop and now as presiding bishop of REACH South Africa, overseeing all of our 150-odd churches around the country. God has been very good to us in all of those years. Today we're going to look at the scriptures, John chapter 5. You're going to hear that reading, and then we'll look at it a bit later. Good morning, church. My name is Matsi Leng, and I am a member of the Midrand Christ Church family. This morning's scripture reading is from John 5, verse 1 to 18. It reads as follows. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In this lay a multitude of invalids blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Say, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you? Take up a bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus answered them, My father's working until now, and I'm working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In 1995, a young businessman approached a group of about 60 people over a period of time, trying to get them to invest uh, in an online sales scheme that he had in mind uh, for this new medium that was promising to become the next big thing. It was called the Internet. And he was trying to get investors in his company to set up an Internet sales company. Uh, of the 60 people that he approached, 22 agreed to invest. And those 22 people, including his parents, gave him the first million dollars that he needed to start the company. That man's name was Jeff Bezos, and his company uh, is called Amazon, which last year was worth over $200 billion. And when I was reading about that, I was thinking to myself, how do those 48 people feel who turned down that initial opportunity to invest in his company way back in 1995? What a fortune they have lost out on. And yet, in turning down Amazon, it really pales into insignificance compared to turning down Jesus in 2020, or AD 30, for that matter. The story here in John chapter 5 uh, really brings home examples of people who had excellent opportunities to turn to Jesus and yet turned away from him. Surprising people who you think would actually be the best candidates to turn to Jesus, and yet instead they turned away from him. And so I want to have a look in John chapter 5 from that reading that you've heard, just at these opportunities that these people had. First of all, I want you to see the invalid's opportunity. Now, um, it might have struck you, reading about this invalid, that he's quite a surprising candidate for a healing miracle. We're not actually sure what the invalid's problem was. Uh, the Greek word really means a weakness, some sort of sickness or weakness that rendered him lame or bedridden in some way. And when you read the story, it's there's a few surprising things about this invalid and how he behaves. Uh, you'll see as you read through the story some unusual things. First of all, in verse 5 and 6, he doesn't actually go looking for help from Jesus, which is often what you see with sick people. He doesn't go to Jesus for help. Jesus actually goes looking for him. And then another odd thing is the question that Jesus asks him there in verse 6. Jesus says to him, do you want to get well or do you want to be healed? Or literally, are you willing to be healed? Um, you would think the answer would be obvious. I mean, yes, people would say, of course I want to be healed. But of course, in those days, um, land beggars could make a lot of money uh, or a helpful income out of their illness. 
and so Jesus is offering him, asking him if he actually wants to be healed. And again, there's an odd answer from this invalid. He doesn't automatically in verse 7 say, yes, yes, I want to be healed. Instead, he starts moaning about how he has never had an opportunity to get into the pool because someone always gets in ahead of him in verse 7. Now, by the way, you may see in some of your Bibles, there are footnotes about this pool of Bethsaida. Uh, this pool, which I've actually seen in Jerusalem, has been uncovered by archaeologists. And there was a superstition about this pool that uh, when the pool bubbled up, it was actually an angel stirring the water and first one in gets healed, which is a bit cruel in a way because you've got to be fit enough to get in the pool to get healed. So uh, it's kind of a catch-22. But anyway, this man is complaining that he's never quick enough to get into the pool first and so he doesn't get healed and he's woe is me and poor me, that kind of attitude. So there again uh, is another unusual aspect about this man and whether or not he's a good candidate for healing. There's not much faith in Jesus being shown here at all. And then when he is healed, uh, um, he's not one to um, stand up for Jesus. When he's confronted, verse 10, by the religious police, he immediately shifts the blame onto Jesus and says, oh, the man who made me well, he made me do it. When the religious police challenge him for um, carrying his bed on the Sabbath, which is one of the Sabbath rules being broken, uh, he says, no, 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 uh, it's not my fault. The man told me to do it. The man who made me well told me to do it. Uh, so he shows he's a blame shifter. There doesn't really seem to be any change of heart from this man uh, when he's healed. And you can see that in verse 14, where it says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, that's an unusual statement uh, from Jesus to the man. He finds him at the temple and says to him, Stop sinning. Would he say that to the man if he was at the temple worshipping? and praising God, and thanking God for the healing. Jesus wouldn't say it to him at the temple if that's what he was doing. He must have been doing something at the temple that uh, caused him to get this rebuke. And of course, in Jerusalem in those days, there were certain spots where a beggar could play on the sympathies of people and beg uh, for money. One of those was at the pool of Bethsaida, and the other prime spot would be the temple. What better place to uh, play on people's conscience than to sit outside church and beg? So it may well be that this man has gone back to what he's been doing for the last 38 years and he put his mat out and lay there with his hat out. And Jesus rebukes him and warns him that something worse can happen to him. It doesn't even end there. The man still doesn't change his ways. After he's given the warning, he then goes and gives Jesus' name to the authorities. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So when you look at the story again and you take a deeper look at it, you start to realize that this lame man is not the greatest candidate for Jesus' help or healing. He's not the model candidate. And maybe the story challenges some of us in our thinking um, about healing and who is worthy of receiving healing in the Bible. It's not the people with great faith all the time that get healed. And also, 
this is telling us that just because you are healed doesn't necessarily mean that you are saved. I mean, God may well intervene in your life to rescue you from trouble, just like he did with this invalid. The Bible tells us that every single day of our lives is God's intervention keeping us alive. And God intervenes in many ways in our lives, perhaps more than we acknowledge, more than we acknowledge. He may intervene to rescue you from a number of situations that you're not even aware of. And God may have intervened to physically heal you, rescue you from bankruptcy, deliver you from some deadly accident or something like that. That does not necessarily mean that you are saved. And God certainly does intervene in people's lives. And in doing that, gives you an opportunity to turn to him and trust in him. But not, not everybody does that, even with physical healing. Now, I don't have the gift of healing, and um, and I can testify to that by many people whose hands I've laid on and they haven't got well. But I do remember once somebody phoning me, asking me to go to their friend in hospital and saying uh, that they were deadly sick and could I please go pray for them? They weren't believers. Uh, and uh, please could I go and help them? And I went to the hospital and I went into the ward and the nurse said to me, this woman doesn't have long to go. Uh, the doctor thinks she's got less than 24 hours to live. And anyway, I went in, I tried to speak to her, but she was deeply unconscious, and I prayed for her that God would either heal her or save her, um, and left thinking she didn't have a chance. Uh, the next day, I was at the hospital doing other visits, and I popped into the ward to say to them, when did the lady die? And um, they said to me, no, she didn't die. She rallied overnight, uh, and she's recovered. And the doctors are even talking about discharging her now because... She made a complete recovery overnight, which was amazing. When she was discharged, I went to her house to see her, to speak to her and share the gospel with her. And the amazing thing is, when she saw me at the door, at the gate actually, ringing the bell to come in, she turned away and she never opened the door to let me in. She wouldn't even see me, even after what had happened. And it's just an illustration to me again from John chapter 5. That just because God intervenes in your life in some way in this world does not necessarily mean that you're going to be saved or you are saved. And sadly, this will be the case for millions of people who daily receive Jesus' intervention in, in their lives, preserving them from things, and yet they'll never turn to him for salvation. And the invalid story here in John chapter 5 is a very stark warning about that. There's a second group here, uh, and an opportunity too that they had, which they turned away from, and that is the religious leaders. The response of the religious leaders here to Jesus is really quite astonishing. Uh, there's a dullness here amongst these theologians, which is shocking, actually. Uh, they see this former cripple. They would have known him. He's been a, an invalid for 38 years. And here he is walking home with his bed under his arms, and when they see him walking, they don't say, wow, you're healed. This is a miracle. Praise God. They don't say, wow, let's go to the temple and give thanks to God for this amazing healing. They don't say, who healed you? Let's meet this man. We want to thank God for him. Instead, they say in verse 10, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. 
I mean, it is an astounding statement in the face of someone that's just been healed in this most miraculous way. You know, how often in your lifetime would you see something like this? Never. Somebody who is paralyzed, who is healed completely, and is walking home with his bed under his arms. And yet the religious leaders say, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat or your bed on the Sabbath. I mean, that is crazy. That is like somebody arriving at your house and saying, yeah, here's a brand new car for you. Here's this Mercedes Benz for you. It's a gift to you. Yeah, brand new. And you look at it and you say, take that car away. You've parked it illegally on a yellow line. How could you do that? Take that car away. That's as crazy as this statement right here. The interesting thing is carrying your mat on the Sabbath was one of the 39 applications of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath breaking commandment that the rabbis had decided needed to be enforced amongst the people. It was one of the outworkings of that law. And it does seem that this particular encounter was used by Jesus to actually expose that very stumbling block amongst the Jewish leaders, which it certainly did. And verse 16 tells us because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders uh, began to persecute him or pursue him, literally, is the word. So they, they really began to nail him, so to speak. And Jesus gives um, quite a, a, a provocative answer to these persecutors in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, Jesus' statement here in verse 17 is actually astonishing and astounding to these religious leaders of the day. <clears throat> Made them tremendously angry. They wanted to kill him because of this blasphemous statement of his, that his father was at work to this very day, and I too am working. And the very day he's talking about is the Sabbath. Now, there was a big debate amongst the rabbis in the first century, uh, a conundrum, so to speak. Because the Sabbath day was so important, and the, non, the, the breaking of the Sabbath day was so uh, it was, it was such a, a strict rule not to break the Sabbath. The rabbi said, but what about God? Because God works on a Saturday, the Sabbath day. Uh, isn't he breaking the Sabbath? And they had this whole debate. It really got quite heated uh, in that first century. And eventually the rabbis decided that God can't be breaking the Sabbath because the universe is God's house. It's not his workplace. And it's not breaking the Sabbath to look after your house uh, on the Sabbath. And so that was the loophole that they found to excuse God for working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says here, my father is working on the Sabbath and I am working on the Sabbath. And that's making himself no less than God himself. Calling God his father and claiming to be doing the father's work on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders were completely scandalized by that answer and saw Jesus as blaspheming and wanted to have him killed for 
blasphemy, which is ultimately why they did kill him. So what was going on here was the religious leaders were refusing to consider the evidence that was right in front of them. And by doing so, they turned down their opportunity to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, just as the invalid did, because he was just so self-centered and focused on himself. So these religious leaders, who were so focused on their power and their love of the praise of people and their status, that they could not see who was standing in front of them. And these two examples really bring home the reality of the opportunity that you are facing today and that you've been brought face to face with, so to speak. Again and again, John brings you and I, as you read through John's gospel, he brings you and I face to face with Jesus and who he really is and gives you that opportunity to recognize him as Lord and receive him as your Savior. Just as Jesus stood before that invalid, just as Jesus stood before those religious leaders, so he is before you today, giving you the opportunity to respond to him. It's the purpose of the whole gospel, that you will see that this carpenter from Nazareth is nothing less than God in the flesh here to save you. If only you will recognize him and and turn to him and put your faith in him. And it is recognizing who he is by his actions that John wants you to see. These signs, these miraculous signs, like the healing of this invalid. By Jesus' actions, you see who he is. There's an old story. It's a well-known story, and we're not sure who it's attached to. It could be King Richard or one of the King Henrys in England, who famously uh, dressed up as a commoner to go out amongst the common people and experience life as a commoner and see what it was like. And the king dressed up in peasants' clothes and went out into the streets and mingled with the commoners and got to know them and chatted to them, uh, went into the local drinking hole with them and was sitting in, in the pub or in the inn around a table drinking and chatting and laughing and joking when all of a sudden everyone in the inn jumped up and bowed their knees to him and said, Your Majesty. What is it that happened that made them change? Well, you know what happened? While they were sitting around the table laughing and joking, uh, a woman of ill repute, one of the local uh, well-known women of ill repute, uh, came into the bar and walked up to the table and said, Hello, boys! And instantly, the king stood up. Because a lady came to the table. And so by his behavior, they recognized who he was. And that's the same with Jesus. You see, Jesus looks like the carpenter from Nazareth. But his actions will show you that he is God from heaven. Come to earth. And when you recognize him as that, there lies your opportunity to bow the knee to him as Lord You see Jesus, not by how he looks, but by how he conducts himself. And Jesus, who looks like a man and conducts himself as God, is the one who has come as your saviour. And that is the opportunity you are given from a God who looks at sinners like you and me and comes to earth to rescue us, as Jesus did 
when he came to earth, not to heal an invalid or to confront religious leaders ultimately, but to take our sin upon himself at the cross, pay the penalty for the sin we deserved, and then offer you the eternal life that he has. And that is the opportunity he gives to you and I. Today, this is your opportunity. As Jesus has been revealed to you today, as his word has been proclaimed, Jesus has been revealed to you. How will you respond to him? Will you respond like the invalid, accept his earthly help, accept his healing, the very health he gives you today? Will you accept all of those things, but turn down his offer of salvation? Or will you be like the religious leaders and reject him because you're afraid that you're going to lose your earthly status or your power or or your friends and your popularity? Will you turn down Jesus because of what you have now that you're afraid to lose? Or will you do as John wants you to do? Will you see Jesus as Lord and bow the knee to him as your Lord? And as your saviour, what will you do? Thank you so much, Bishop Glenn, for that. And please, will you all join me now as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your message of salvation. Thank you that you have not left the world to itself and to the ravages of disease and brokenness. Thank you that you have an eternal plan for having a people for yourself. And thank you that you have revealed your plan to us via your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our great high priest who sits at the right hand, at your right hand, interceding for each one of us continuously. Thank you that Jesus is our brother and that we are part of his eternal family. Thank you that Jesus is the final and perfect sacrifice. Thank you that my rebellion and autonomy towards you has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. Thank you that my sin that has separated me from your love has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. And thank you that because of the resurrection of Jesus, I'm able to live my life in perfect relationship with you, my Father who is in heaven. Lord God, I pray that you might hear the prayers that each one of us is saying, that you might hear our heartfelt prayers, and that you might continue to pour your love and mercy and grace into our hearts. Please continue to convince us of the truth of the gospel, and please strengthen our faith in the finished work of Jesus. For many of us, it feels like the ground is crumbling all around us as we face unemployment, hunger, illness, loss of loved ones. We need to know you. We want to know you and the life that you have planned for each one of us. Please forgive us as we have sought after our own heart's desires and run after things of this world. Please allow us to know you so that we may be comforted and in turn, that we might be able to comfort those around us. Thank you for your great plan of salvation that not only rescues us into your eternal family, 
but gives us a great task of being your hands and feet in the areas that you have placed us. Please help us, Lord God, to trust you and to trust your ways. Help us to lean not on our own understanding, but to look at your eternal life-giving word, your word that is truth. Please help each one of us to spend time reading your word and considering your ways. Help us to press pause and enable us to meditate on your precious word. Heavenly Father, I ask that you might be with us in the week that lies ahead. Help us to consider what we have heard this morning from your word and help us to respond in faith and repentance. Please will you continue to meet our physical needs and please will you especially draw near to the vulnerable in our communities. Thank you that we can come to you as our Heavenly Father and know that you hear and that you care. I think we can join David as he prays in Psalm 40. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. <clears throat> may those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.